as Hudson tries to close it out. It'll be another 3-2 pitch to Michael Brantley. Hudson sets. The kick, and here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Remember where you are, so you remember where you are right now at 11.50 Eastern Time. Remember where you are on October 30th, 2019, when the Washington Nationals finished the fight from the depths of a forgettable 19-31 start. They have climbed to the top of baseball's highest peak, giving us all a finish to a season we will remember for the rest of our lives. Hi there, and welcome to a very, very special post-World Series victory edition of the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. And I can't believe it. I am... Listen, we have taken now almost 24 hours to respond to to what happened last night, and I think I'm still speechless. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this this has never happened. Uh, I mean, for all those Cavs fans out there, I mean, great for you guys that you've had this now twice. But you know, we're not Cavs fans. You know, as much as we like, nope. As much as I like to pretend I am, I'm not a Cavs fan. This is the first. I mean, the, and the Nats are my number one. I mean, they'll always be. You'll always be my number one. Um, so you ride, ride or die for the Nats. I'm ride or die. Uh-huh. Um, so it's just so special. I mean, being able to to be with this team for I mean their entire span. We've talked about this before a few weeks ago. I think on the World Series preview, but the fact that we've witnessed all the history of this team. It just makes every moment so much more special. Yep. And the culmination of now winning the World Series and and doing it in such a fun, exciting way. I mean, this, just this whole season was just so fun and exciting and all different. It was just so different. This team was different than any other team the Nets have had before. This was truly a miracle team. Uh, mm. I think that... Maybe we get a little bit of a problem when people start talking about them as a miracle team because it feels as though their talent is being sort of uh, insulted, I guess. But this is an incredibly talented team. Yeah. But I mean, they it, had some of the best. They had three of the top six pitchers in baseball in the National League. Yep, they had a future Hall of Famer who, admittedly, was not at full strength during the playoffs. Uh, in Max Scherzer. It, it's an incredibly good team. They have Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon, who are, you know, top two, three, four hitters in baseball. Uh, and, you know, it's an incredibly talented team, but it, it's it's the way that they defied odds and expectations. First of all, mm-hmm. coming in, obviously, you know, 19 and 31 has been said so many times. It's basically meaningless at this point, <laughs> but they were 19 and 31 on May 24th. Smart, reasonable baseball minds, not reactionaries, but smart people were writing them off with good cause. I mean, uh, Silverja, I think Andrew Flax tweeted the Silverja article from, from May 23rd 
about how this team was doomed. He, he pretty much said, we got to trade Rendon, we got to trade Doolittle, even trade Scherzer maybe. I, I thought that when he said those things that he was being a little overboard. Uh, I didn't... I, I think I may have advocated trading Doolittle and do Rendon. Little. Possibly Rendon if you couldn't extend him. But uh, I, I think... At the time, I said, don't uproot the studs of the franchise because the studs are still... I mean, the, the core of the franchise, I said, was still solid. But there was reasonable disagreement on that. I mean, we were talking about possibly going back into rebuild mode. Yeah. Uh, and, and We're talking about firing Davey, firing Rizzo. I mean, just blowing everything up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at that point, the Nats had... Playoff odds under twenty percent. Uh, they they became the hottest team in baseball. They made it to the wild card game as the first wild card in the eighth inning with four outs left in the in the ball game. The Nats had wild card winning odds of eleven point six percent. They came back and won that in NLDS game five with six outs to play with. They had. Victory odds of 10.7%. And last night, in Game 7, with eight outs to play with, with one hit the entire ball game, they had 13.5% World Series winning odds. Uh, the entire season, they were putting themselves into positions where they'd have to play from behind, have to make miracle comebacks, and every single time... They made those comebacks. I mean, I think just the, the epitome of this is just Max Scherzer, Game 5, can't lift his arm above his head. And, and you know, you read him off as dead. And nobody who saw him, I mean, I think Davey said, I didn't think there was a single chance he'd pitch on, on, on Wednesday. And the fact that he can come back and pitch and give pretty much the same performance that he did in Game 1 and keep this team in there for as long as he did I mean that's just the 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 never give up fortitude of this team. Yeah. In 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 a nutshell. I mean again I I'm still speechless but the the point of all this is to say that this team it wasn't about talent. It was about the the way that they went about digging themselves into holes but then proving that no hole was too deep for them to dig themselves out of. That mm. I mean they are the first team in baseball history to defeat two 105-plus win teams in one playoff run. Uh, they, they took on, after beating the Brewers, after being down 3-1, to one, four outs left, they had to go to Los Angeles and they had to play those two on the road, and they lost the first game they played on the road. They then won eight consecutive road games. They were eight and one on the road in this playoff run, four and four at home. Uh, they're the first team to ever win eight games on the road in a playoff run. It's remarkable. It just it isn't done the way that the Nats did it with no. so many. Thrilling I mean, high wire act games. It's just incredible. I mean, just the World Series alone, the Nats lose every game at home 
and win every game on the road. Lose every game at home and badly. Yeah. It wasn't even close. They scored three runs in the entire three games that they had at home. I mean, you were more optimistic than I was after game five, although I don't know Mm. that it's reflected on the podcast. You said they've got Steven Strasburg going for game six, and then anything can happen in a game seven. Mm. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Steven Strasburg, World Series MVP. Uh, That's has a nice ring to it. I, there is no greater achievement. I, I mean, there's nothing else that you could possibly want out of your first overall super hyped mega prospect turned, you know, quasi disappointment turns object of controversy and derision turned constant injured for him to come throw 209 innings in the regular season, throw another 39 and a third in the postseason to become the first pitcher in Major League history to go 5-0 and in a postseason. Uh, and then to come out and throw eight and a third innings against the best lineup in baseball in an elimination game to do a just after a first inning where he got absolutely raked. Uh mm-hmm. And to come back and throw eight and a third innings and 104 pitches, I mean, my God, man. There can be no debate about Steven Strasburg at this point. He has, he's earned himself a statue outside of Nationals Park. He's earned himself a number retirement. It's... He's done it. He's done it all. He's he's lived up to every bit of the hype. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you could say he hasn't won a Cy Young Award, but a Cy Young Award is not nearly as meaningful because the Nats have had Cy Young Awards before. A Cy Young Award is not nearly as meaningful in terms of the memories it creates, in terms of the impression it leaves on a team as a World Series MVP. Uh, Yeah. You're the the last pitcher to pitch in a non-Game 7 to win... Uh, uh, to in a seven-game series to win uh, World Series MVP was? Who's that? Levon Hernandez in 1997. That makes sense. Yep. Well, Mr. National and Steven Strasburg have something in common. Then. Yeah. And um, Levon won both NLCS and World Series MVP that year. Well, he was co-NLCS MVP or maybe World Series MVP. I can't remember which one. Uh, he was co-one of them. But, um, and I know that the, the last pitcher to go more than eight innings in an elimination game uh, was Kurt Schilling in 1993 in a World Series elimination game. What? Didn't Matt Harvey do it and then got shelled? Yes, but in he the... didn't get an out in the ninth inning. Okay. Sch- Schilling threw a complete game and Strasburg got one out. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think that was the... The that stat. Was, yeah, it was the stat. Yeah, to re- you mean to record out in the ninth inning. Right. It's better said. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about last night's game specifically because that was a great game. I mean, I don't know where it ranks in terms of game sevens. I was reading uh, MLB.com today, a breakdown of, of game sevens, um, and they put us eighth of all time in World Series game sevens of the 40. 
And I don't know how that, I don't know, you know, where that ranks, if that's just immediate seed bias. They put us ahead of um, 2014 in their Game 7, which, which was a fantastic game as well. Um, but it truly was a great Game 7. I mean, you had a come-from-behind home run, which doesn't happen often. I mean, there's been three in Game 7 histories where a, a player has hit a come-from-behind home run. Um, I think that late in the game with Howie Kendrick. I mean, the team looked – they looked f- dead. I mean, Granke just looked so good in the first six innings. Uh, and just one thing, I think more than the Rendon home run was the Soto walk that really changed the tide. Um, he – Soto, I mean, the confidence – that Soto had, I mean, I tweeted this gif earlier today of the bat flip that Soto did on the walk as if he knew the importance of that walk and how big that walk was going to well, be. I think the important uh, thing about that walk was it made it so that uh, A.J. Hinch felt as though he had no choice but to take Granky out of the game and go yeah. to a, a gassed so, Will Harris. Harris apparently admitted before the game that he was gassed. He was pitching in his fourth out yeah. of five games He'd made 12 appearances in the postseason. Uh, and yeah. I know we'd had such a great regular year, and he'd been pretty good in the playoffs too. But there were other ways of playing that. There were a lot of other ways of playing that. Uh, and yeah. and I think that was the wrong way because Garrett Cole is the type of guy who I would, even though he hasn't pitched in relief since freshman year of college, He's the type of guy that I trust going into any situation. I mean, he's the best pitcher in baseball. He's got the best stuff in down. baseball, reliever or starter. Exactly. I trust him to get two outs and then more, even on two days rest. I mean, Corbin got – got. Uh, I mean, he had Corbin one more day of rest, but he got nine yeah. outs. Based um, only ten hitters. If, yeah, that was – such a great performance by Corbin. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute because I think people are really not talking about that no. as much as they should be. Uh, but, you know, you got to go – the fact that Garrett Cole didn't even enter that game because A.J. Hinch said, I only want him when we're leading is just – I don't get it. I really don't I get don't know. It. it. It makes no sense. What I would have done if you insist on taking Granky out there in that spot – and listen – Will Harris made an excellent pitch to Howie Kendrick. Whatever the situation, if he was gassed or not, you can't really fault Will Harris for for what happened. There was a 91-mile-an-hour cutter on the black down and away, and Kendrick put a beautiful swing on it. But even with that beautiful yeah. swing on it, I mean, that doesn't get out of maybe all but three ballparks. Yeah, I wanted to see. I couldn't find this this morning, but I was looking for it for like a minute of seeing how many ballparks it gets out of. I think it went three twenty-five was the distance. Oh, three thirty-five, three thirty-five down the well, line. It was yeah. I mean the excuse me the uh, line down a right field line in Minute Maid is three fifteen. It hit about six feet up the pole, right down the line. And, and let's talk about how beautiful that doink sound was. Uh, nothing Minute better. Minute Maid is one of the few ballparks remaining where the foul pole actually makes an audible doink. Uh, I mean, that that's an iconic doink in baseball history if there ever was one. Yeah. Uh, 
That that doink. <laughs> but uh, the sound of it lives on in my yeah, dreams. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I don't even know if I heard it in the moment. I was just too excited. Uh, but yeah. to be able to listen to it on repeat as I have this morning, uh, it's been pretty fun. But yeah, yeah, if I were if I were AJ Hinch, first thing I would have done is stuck with Zach Greinke. Yeah, Greinke's at eighty pitches. He that I mean he threw one bad pitch all night. To and we're talking about it's and not as though this was a guy who was having some sort of fluke performance here. This is Zach Greinke we're talking about. This is Hall of he's Famer. a Hall of Famer just because he's the you know third best pitcher on your staff. I mean, he's a top 10 pitcher in baseball still overall. Uh, it just, it, this sort of institutional need that, that's come out in the past five or six years to ignore what your pitcher is doing and immediately at the first sign of trouble, you know, always defer to a relief pitcher. It makes no sense to me. It's also just so funny how Davey managed that game in the exact opposite. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he stuck with his horse with Scherzer, even though Scherzer looked very not very good. I mean, he gave a lot of, a lot of hard contact, a lot of loud outs. Um, managed to wiggle his way through five innings somehow. He, I mean, a lot of luck involved. Four walks, only three strikeouts. I mean, he just did not have it last night. And I don't know how much of that was. He has velocity. Um I don't know how much of that was with due to his his neck and shoulder, or, or whatever. I mean, he said it didn't bother him, so I don't know. But he got a lot of luck, and Davey was able to play him as long as he could go. I mean, he went 103 pitches last night. Actually, he wasn't. At the, got, so Scherzer said uh, that he had another inning in him, but Davey pulled him out well, of five. Smart. Well, uh, I would have. I mean. <laughs> On the one hand, the Nats didn't have a ton of great options if Scherzer couldn't get them five innings. No. I mean, everyone's talking about, you know, oh, you could have gone to Corbin, and that Corbin was great last night, or you could have gone to Anibal Sanchez. The truth of the matter with Sanchez is you don't know what he'll be like in the bullpen. Well, and more I than mean, that, it's not as though he mowed down the Astros exactly. in his start. It's not like it's like Corbin did that well either against the Astros. Yeah, Uh but I would trust the $140 million Patrick Corbin a yes. lot more than I would trust Anibal Sanchez. Oh, yeah. Uh, I agree with that. I mean, that was the right move to go to Corbin. And, I mean, Corbin was – I mean, he saved the game. I mean, yeah. I think the fact that he was able to give us – I mean, you go for one inning and you see how good he looked and you're like, all right, let's get another one. I mean, if he can only get you one inning, I don't know how we win that game. I, I don't. If, if he can't even – if he. Can't give well, his that first length. inning, I mean, the score it was his two nothing game at that point. Uh, for him to get yeah. out two, I mean, so he gives up a leadoff single to Mariznick, and you're like, oh god, here we go, they're about to extend it. They've got the top of the order coming mm-hmm. up, and then he strikes out Springer, gets into chase a slider, and then gets Altuve to hit into somehow his third double play of the series, which I think. This might be wrong, but I think they turn more double plays on Altuve, or I think as many double plays on Altuve as they did on all other players combined in this postseason. In the world, in the postseason. In this postseason. Well, they had three on Altuve. Yes. 
Um, and then they had Molina and uh, and Chirinos. Molina and Chirinos, and then also one in the wild card game. That's right. That's three, three and three. I yeah. was right. Yep. That's uh, pretty uh, amazing. It is. I mean, Altuve is not a slow guy no. either. Uh, well, they had a. I mean, Altuve had a lot of hits. But he also had a lot of big outs this series. I mean, he was kind of... By WPA, go- he was the, the worst position player on the Astros. That series. makes sense. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because he, he was the GOAT and not a, and not the good way GOAT um, in the, the bad way of GOAT. Um, he struck out with runners in scoring position and big at-bats. I mean, the one in Game 6 was probably the biggest one um, when they had uh, Strasburg on the ropes. And Strasburg was able to strike him out all on great off-speed pitches and then was able to get out of it getting Brantley on the next at-bat. But it's pretty remarkable that a guy with, who hit three oh three in the series was the worst uh, the worst batter for the in terms of... Uh, WPA? The, WPA. Yeah. I mean, he also only had a 688 OPS. Yeah, but I was, mean, he was the worst by uh, a long shot. And we're talking about... Yeah. It's, it's interesting looking at this... Uh, and they only had, you know, Brantley, oddly enough, you know, Brantley didn't hit for any power, but he did hit 321 in this series, and he was also a pretty high net negative. Uh, so yeah. the Nats did, and I don't think this is skill, this is probably more luck, but they did a very good job getting the best hitters in this lineup out in big spots. I mean... Yeah, I mean... Bregman had his home runs against the Nats. Um, he hit three. Mm-hmm. The Grand Slam was probably... I mean, the one in Game 2 was big. The Grand Slam was, you know, put the game on ice. But I, outside of that, I mean, they really held him in check in a lot of big situations. Um, I mean, Springer just did really good things. Alvarez had a good series. Guriel beat us a bunch of yeah. times. I'd say Springer but, and I Guriel mean, were the ones that they couldn't contain. But containing Bregman yeah. and Altuve is a pretty impressive Tuve, feat. It is, yeah. And also, I mean, the bottom half of the lineup, I mean, Trina said there's two homers, but that was kind of it for him. Correa had the homer, but I mean, and he had an RBI single last night. But they really kept him in check. I mean, he had some big strikeouts too. I mean, they were able to to get the guys who they needed to get in the spots they needed to get them in. And they really didn't, I mean, break in many times when they could have that's that's true. I mean, especially with Max Scherzer. Uh, uh-huh. Scherzer, listen. Game one, he made pitches when he needed to. Game seven, yeah. he got line drives at people when he needed them. There was a spot in the fourth inning uh, where the Astros had two on with two out, and Jose Altuve was up. And the only way he was going to get Altuve out is if Altuve happened to hit one right at someone. And And Altuve hit a line drive right at Robles. Uh, So Scherzer got – I mean, I understand the decision from Davey Martinez's perspective. He was watching the same game we were. He knew Scherzer didn't have it. But he also knew he didn't have a ton of great options. And, you know, maybe Scherzer finds it. Or maybe he keeps getting big outs. Uh, maybe he just has the magic that night. Uh, yeah, but he just has, he has, he had it. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not a skill, but it worked out. Uh, and then to get what you got out of Patrick Corbin and listen, Patrick Corbin 
had one of the most unique and difficult jobs any pitcher has ever had in a postseason run. He made three starts, and he made five relief appearances. That is the first time that has ever happened. I mean, his ERA got blown up because of it, but he had a great postseason. I mean, he really provided some really crucial and key outs for the team. I wouldn't say that he had a great postseason, but he had... He had a very critical postseason for the team. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't do what he did in Game 3, it's possible that series doesn't go 5 of of the NLDS. Yeah. But, and, he, and he struggled in a starting role. He ran out of gas in NLCS Game 4, uh, and he struggled against the lineup that he shut down in Game 7 in his start in Game 4 in a what looked like a very winnable game. He came out in the very first inning and couldn't get anyone out. So, Well, also the offense got, you know... Well, you, you didn't know that at the time. Uh, if you don't <laughs> give up two in the first, maybe that game goes differently. But yeah, we need to appreciate, A, how difficult the role that Corbin was asked to do is I, the concept of a swingman like that doesn't really exist anymore, and the reason it doesn't exist anymore is because with modern pitcher usage, it's impossible to do that. It's it's simply with a guy like Corbin, who is a pretty much a max effort guy, to be bounced between the starting role and relief role on that kind of basis. It's it's really hard. It's hard to get into a rhythm, it's hard to go max effort, and it's especially hard to go max effort in the playoffs. Uh, And for him to come out in the last game of the season, after 202 innings in the regular season, after another 25 in the postseason, which obviously together amounts to the most innings he's ever thrown, to come out after that exhausting role that he's been pitching in and to throw to get the most crucial nine outs in Nationals history. I mean, he's not MVP, but he deserves a lot of recognition for that. Yeah. I mean, in terms of how the Nats were going to win this postseason, they had six pitchers they could yep. trust. Um, and two of them, I mean, Sanchez had that really good start. I mean, he was good. Sanchez was good. Then he had one bad start. I'll redact that. But he only pitched three times this postseason. Yep. Um, the fact that they were able to – and Hudson, up until last night, looked not great in the World Series. Um, but the fact that they were able to to make these four guys, these six guys run, they pitched, what was it, 83% of innings in the postseason? Yeah. That's insane. I mean – the Nats were ten and zero in games that were started by Scherzer and Strasburg. Two and five in all other games. That I mean, there's just no other way the Nationals could have won this series with the worst bullpen in baseball, yep. <laughs> statistically, than just riding these guys to the ground. And that's what they did. And I mean, you didn't even have an A plus Scherzer. You had like a, a B Scherzer. Yeah. And. You were able to ride a B Scherzer who had some really good starts for you, but also really faded down the stretch. Um, I mean, it's postseason Strasburg, which is now a yeah. thing, which is awesome. It's, he um, he may be. I mean, behind. Uh, it's hard to say with Bumgarner because Bumgarner has pitched enough in the playoffs that he's got 
a couple bad starts under his resume. You know, he, he had uh-huh. 2014, which was one of the best postseasons of all time, and 2016. And Strasburg can't match him in terms of innings. But in terms of ERA, you put Strasburg right up there with Sandy Koufax and Madison Bumgarner in terms of playoff performance. Yeah. I mean, that was otherworldly. I mean, just what he did this whole postseason. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just incredible uh, how this team was able to win. I mean, and... Strasburg struck out the second most all-time in a postseason, behind only he had forty-seven strikeouts this postseason. Behind only Kurt Schilling in two thousand and one, who had fifty-two. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and he tied with Garrett Cole actually. Yes. So if Cole pitched last night, if Cole uh, pitched last night, changed. it would have changed. But Cole didn't pitch last. It's a good night. thing he didn't. For a lot no, of reasons. I really wanted to see. I wanted to see Cole versus Soto one more time. That's a match I was hoping for. Uh, but we were we were. No, thankfully, not granted with that. No, um, because they decided to, for some reason, I have no idea. Ozuna came in in the seventh, replacing Harris, and he didn't look sharp. He got two outs to get out of it after walking a guy. But those two outs were, mm-hmm. were Gomes and Robles, uh, and he didn't look sharp to either guy. And you had Garrett Cole. It was a 3-2 to two game. It was imperative in this last game of the season, that you keep it a 3-2 game. I sort of understand yeah. not wanting to go to Cole to in the middle of an inning. It's a weird thing for routine, although I think that if any starter in baseball can handle it, it's Garrett Cole with his stuff. But I yeah. sort of get that. But And I, I sort of get going to Harris over Ozuna, considering how good Harris has been. Although I think you should have taken work and usage into account when you made that move. But mm-hmm. to not go to Garrett Cole in the eighth inning to try and keep this game close, to to go to Ozuna in the eighth and then in the ninth go to a, a combination of, of Presley and Urquidy to let the Nats blow the game open and make the bottom of the ninth completely stress-free, that's that's managerial mismanagement right there. That's It was awful. Um, and one more key, I think, key underrated aspect of the series, which I think was a big differentiating factor, was the fact that the Astros didn't have a single lefty in their yeah. bullpen. I mean, you look at the Nats' two lefties that they had, Eaton and Soto, they had the highest OPS of any player on the Nats. I mean, Eaton hit 320 with 993 OPS, while Soto hit 333 with a 1179 OPS. Yeah. So those two guys right there... I mean, your your two, three, four carried this team throughout the series. I mean, Kendrick had a big hit. Cabrera hit. I mean, they hit for decent average, but for no power except for the home run last night by Kendrick. I mean, you didn't have a single batter besides those three have a OPS over seven ten in this series. So you had those three, and the fact that you know Eaton and Soto were just not able to get stopped by any reliever that the Astros had. I mean, that was just. Such a uh, uh, huge advantage for the Nats. Yes, yeah, I mean, um, there was no... They used Will Harris to match up with Soto, uh, yeah. which makes sense because Harris is effective against anybody. And, you know, the the Astros have a lot of righties who are good at getting lefties out. I mean, Ozuna's got a very good changeup. Uh, Harris has that curveball, which is a neutralizer against anyone. 
uh, and the cutter, which is very hard to hit if you're a lefty. But it's not just about how, and I've said this multiple times, it's not just about how the pitchers uh, do against the left-handed hitters. It's also about how the left-handers, the left-handed hitters do against left-handed pitchers. Now, Soto is very good against most lefties, but there are certain types of lefties he struggles against. You look at the Dodgers series and what Adam Kalarik was Adam able to Cleric, do. Adam Kalarik, yeah. Uh, if you have a lefty with a funky arm slot or a, a big waving slider or a two-seam fastball that rides in on Soto, you can get him out. Uh, and the Astros don't. And, and I understand the decision not to put a lefty on the roster because if you don't have one of those guys, there's really no point because you're if you've got a bunch of better right-handed pitchers and you don't have a lefty that matches up really well against the best lefty in the Nats order, just go with the better pitchers. But at the same time, it was one, it was the one flaw that this roster had, and the Nats exploited it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think Eaton should get a lot of credit for what he did this Absolutely. series. This whole postseason, he just was... I don't know if you have this down in front of you in terms of his WPA, um, but he just seemed to have every big hit in every big series. Um, I mean, in terms of the double in Game Two, um, the I mean the add-on runs in the Cardinal series, the triple in Game One of that series, um, and then just in, in last night, <clears throat> uh, not last night, but the night before, and also last night he had two RBIs. Um, the night before he had that big home run. Uh, he just kept coming in and being that kind of player who the Nats expected to be. <clears throat> a guy who can wear out good pitching um, and kind of make good at-bats and set the table for your big three fours. I mean, this is the exactly type of approach that we've talked about for years is a, is a guy who can be the difference maker in this current day and age. A guy who makes a lot of contact, who puts the ball in play a lot, and kind of a zigging when everyone else is doing something different. Well, Adam Eaton, um, in the postseason, in 75 plate appearances, had nine strikeouts. He had ten walks. He, yeah. he was an ultimate bat control guy. Maybe almost too much, considering how much he was asked to bunt. <laughs> uh, which never <laughs> really made any sense. Uh, no. It's, it's, and by the way, his, I'm still his postseason WPA for the Nats was actually only .26, and all of that was amassed in the NLCS, where he kept having big hit after Mm. big hit. Uh, But I I think that that statistic is a little odd, considering how he did in the World Series. Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt as though he he had had huge hits. I mean, he had a game-tying home run in the fifth off of Verlander. Uh, I mean, I know that the... The home run to make it a ten to two game in game two wasn't huge, but it, it certainly felt it. I mean, I, I thought of, I don't know, I wasn't nervous in an eight two game, but it was useful that home run in getting the Nats to essentially abandon any chance of having to throw any uh, any of their good relievers, yeah. uh, and just the way that he battled through at-bats and made it so that the Nats had, you know, guys other than Rendon and Soto. I mean, they needed 
to win this series, they needed Rendon and Soto to hit like Rendon and Soto, and they needed one other bat to step up, and that one other bat was Adam Eaton. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think just yesterday, I mean, yesterday in game six, he had that one at-bat before Rendon where he just worked a long count against Verlander, and it was just such a good at-bat. I mean, he's he just puts up good at-bats after good at-bats this postseason, and I think, you know, maybe during the regular season, his skills aren't as useful or maybe aren't as seen as much, but especially in the postseason, this guy was the glue that kind of held us together. Um, yeah, well, he had big hits in the NLCS, and he had a ton of great at-bats in the World Series. Uh, yeah. There were, and there are so many stars, too many stars to count, too many big moments to count. I mean, Howie Kendrick hit the two biggest home runs in, in Nats history. That's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. This guy's 36 years old. I mean, he can't play every day anymore. And all he did when he wasn't hurt or, or down to keep from getting hurt, all he did all season long was hit. And then yeah. in that in that he, NLDS... Zim having a big homer, yeah. too, in the World Series. I mean, that's so great. I mean, he didn't have a great series, but, you know, the fact that he had a moment, uh, you know... And then what we were saying about the NLDS? Oh, with Kendrick. You know, it struggled throughout that entire yeah. NLDS. And then to come back with yeah. the biggest home run of your life. And then... And then the NLCS, he was MVP. Yeah, that's right. The one yeah. series in which he didn't have that big show-stopping moment, he was actually MVP of it. Uh, yep. But it's just... you. Know, I mean, one of the interesting things, by the way, just to note uh, on that home run uh, that he hit in the World Series yesterday is that it was by CWPA, or champion, Championship WPA, the ninth biggest play in baseball history. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, now circling back to your point about where this Game 7 ranks in the annals of baseball history, I mean, it's hard to be objective because we're a day out and because it was the Nats who were involved in it. Uh, but, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's not up there with Slaughter's Mad Dash or no. the Maserati game. I think they ranked it above it. Or, uh, I mean, I, I don't even know where I would put it in comparison to 1975 Game 7, which, you know, t- Game 6 of that series gets all the attention, but uh, Game 7 was tied going into the ninth inning uh, and then ended up a 4-3 game. No one really talks about it, but it was a pretty phenomenal game. No. I think, what's the quote from... Uh, from What's the quote? Uh, there's a great quote about it. Uh, the Red Sox won that series three to four. Yeah. I think it's a Some, quote. Something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. But it was, you know, for the vast majority of this series, mostly the games at home, uh, this this series was not particularly compelling. Uh, but it, it was. Oh, you you had three. You had. I mean, even. Game two was a good game. It was game interesting until, until it got the, yeah. blown open. No, I agree. It was pretty much... I mean, that's kind of the MO... That's been the MO of this... Oh, for, for three of the games, for game two, game six, and game seven, they were all close games until they kind of got... You know, the Nats got breathing room because they kept adding on. Um, in terms of game uh, game one, they just it was a close game throughout. I, I would say that the games at home... 
keep this from being an all-time memorable series in terms of baseball history. In terms of Nats history, I think we're always going to remember I mean, this duh. one. I uh, But, I mean, that Game 7 and the Game 6 before it really did, you know, I mean, they were exciting games with moments full of, I mean, if Strasburg could have completed that game in Game 6, that yeah. would have been even cooler. But uh, I think he sort of asked out of that game, so it's hard to get mad at anyone. He, he sounded yeah. dog-tired. Uh, it was a great series. Uh, I mean, it's it's not my job. And there have been a lot of stinkers in Game 7s. Uh, mm-hmm. 68, it was... Uh, that was not one no, of them. No, 68, it was an 11 nothing game. Uh, I mean, 2017, that was a stinker. Yeah. I never expected a great game. I mean, the Astros went ahead five runs in the first two innings, right. and then it was kind of over from there. It was. I mean, it was only a 5-1 game, but it wasn't nearly as close as the score made it sound. No, it was so boring. I remember watching that game. Yeah, uh, and it was just like, wow, this is the call. I mean, because that had been a historically great World Series to that point. Mm-hmm. And then to come up with a stinker in Game 7 like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, there was there was that game. There was the 15-0 in, in 1985. Uh, actually, I, I may have those confused. There have been blowouts in Game 7s. This is not one of them. Yeah. This was an incredibly exciting game. Uh, and I just, I cannot believe, cannot believe that we have a World Series out of this team. Yeah, I mean, we've said this a bunch on the podcast, and I know I've said I've said this a lot of, on this podcast, but this team, you know, was dead. They were, for all intents and purposes, yeah. You know, 1930, I counted out by everyone, national media, nationals The media. buzzards were circling. Everyone, yeah, I mean, there was, and rightfully so. I mean, this this is the first time a team had come from 1931. To win the World Series. And what, to win the World Series. I mean, the, the 1914 Braves were 16 down at one yep. point. Uh, 16 under 500 and won the World and Series. And they were called the Miracle Braves. And they were called Braves. the Miracle the Braves. And that was also 105 years uh-huh. ago. I mean, this sport is so old. <laughs> that it's over a century ago that that's the last time this has happened. And that it's and I honestly mean, that's what I love about I, it. I mean that's why I've always loved yeah the World Series cuz it's you know these are games that you can study and that you can remember and that people talk about you know 100 years on. People still people still mm-hmm. know who the Miracle Braves are. I mean I don't think the casual baseball fan does, but if you mention the Miracle Braves to someone who pays attention to these things, they know who that is. And that's amazing to me. The idea that maybe 105 years ago, or from now, someone will remember the 2019 Washington Nationals. Uh, yeah. You know, ba- baseball is dying, um, etc. But if it, isn't, if it doesn't die by then, just that thought is just amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where the season will end up ranking in the, in the annals of history. I think um, it's pretty special, and I think the of, coverage shows how special it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell if, because we're in it that it just feels so special, or if it really is. I mean, that's my main, my no, main I mean, thing. Even is, the national I, people are covering this like it was a miracle. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it, it's not the 69 Mets, but, you know, who came out of nowhere. But, I mean, this team... Obviously, and, and I said this earlier, 
you know, maybe it does a little bit of a disservice to the previous seven years that the the Nats, you know, finally winning the World Series seems like a miracle, as opposed to the culmination of a period of sustained success. Uh, but I mean, all I will say is enjoy every moment of this because it's never going to feel like this again. You're never going to have a team this special, this fun. I mean, this is, this is one of the most fun teams in baseball history. The, the number of inside jokes, the number of you know, ways that they interacted with the fan base, the baby shark thing happening organically, not pushed by anyone. Uh, the fact that 20,000 people came out in the rain yesterday to watch the game on a big screen you know, they could have watched at home or at a bar. They came out to the ballpark to watch the game. They came out to the bullpen, packed the bullpen to watch the game. I mean, you could talk about D.C. being an event town as opposed to a sports town, et cetera, et cetera. This team formed a real connection with this city. Uh, and yeah. you know, it's always going to be this team and this whole run because it was so unexpected, felt so special, because the odds were so stacked against the Nats. I mean, they were talented. They had the tools. They had the players to defy those odds. But they ran through an 106 and an 107-win team just to get here. And, and they came back from within four outs away from having their season end, and then within six outs, and then within eight outs. Uh, just... The lack of expectations and the way that they constantly defied the odds just makes this team so special and so much fun. Uh, yep. And we'll have a parade to celebrate on, su- on that's Saturday. That's exactly right. And both you and I will be there. Um, yes, yeah, taking a bus down for the weekend. I mean, I've been taking so many buses down from New York to D.C. It's been... Uh... <laughs> It's been, I've done that the last two weekends, and then I did it for NLCS Game yeah. 4. Uh, it's a good thing buses are cheap. And uh, I'm, I'm betting that you don't <laughs> regret any of those bus trips. No. Uh, they've been totally, I mean, this is the experience of a lifetime. I mean, seeing this this team um, that we've watched for so long, that we've, we've lived through vicariously yeah. through, Finally, pull it off. It just feels I mean, so special. Sports is a little yeah. bit of collective insanity. We all decide to care about this thing that, you know, objectively doesn't matter, but we all make it matter by caring yeah. about it. Uh, and you know, we all get so invested in it, and then when it pays off, it's pretty amazing. Yep. So I think on that note, we're going to wrap things up for this episode. Uh, we'll probably we'll probably record again sometime soon. Do a postseason i mean a, a, a pre uh off-season preview like uh of what's to come um i mean we got some big dates coming up strasburg's opt-out is on saturday <clears throat> rendon is officially a free agent as of this yep. morning um and along with a bunch of other players um although they now haven't yet announced the zimmerman opt-out unless nope. i missed it i, I think uh, they have within five he, days to do that yeah 
but it's he will be a free agent. I mean, Kendrick's a free agent. I mean, there's so many free agents. It's going to be a, a wild off season, um, and not a good way necessarily. No, but the, the, we'll preview the best all that. The Nats can hope for here is to keep everyone back together. But uh, yeah, but we'll preview that in our next episode. We'll come out with that sometime, probably yep, this weekend. Maybe by Sunday, um, Strasburg or Aldi have signed an extension. We'll be able to talk about that. Hopefully. But uh, until then, uh, signing off, I'm I'm Johnny, and we will see you later.